Welcome everyone to the Two Tongues Podcast. Consider this your invitation to join Kyle and Chris on a journey through our minds. Where we explore the questions that have fascinated us for as long as we can remember. Could anarchy actually work? Does God exist? And just how did the cosmos get here anyway? Let me be the Virgil to your Dante, the Sacagawea to your Lewis and Clark. Let's take the guided tour through the dark chambers of our unconscious, seeking answers to the most important and unsettled questions of our shared existence. Ready or not, here we go. <laughs> What's up, Kyle? Not much. Not much at all. I, uh, here we go. Yeah, well, yes, indeed. Where are we going? <coughs> Good question. Um, actually, let me make a little note here. Um, it's funny, man. I'm, I'm used to, uh, for work, I'm used to like, like, you don't, when you have to speak, you don't want to have things too memorized because they don't come across as genuine. Mm-hmm. But you want to be able to speak intelligently about what you want to speak about and you want to be able to structure it in a way. Um, so what I do is I like come up with bullet points and the bullet points are just triggers. So all I have to do is remember bullet points and there are triggers for a whole bunch of other shit I already know. So I don't have to over memorize anything. I just have talking points like a politician that I can, that I can riff on. And when I do the, when I do the podcast notes, I kind of use that strategy sometimes. Otherwise I'll have whole paragraphs written out. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes and I just put keywords in there and it just triggers it. Uh, but there are occasions when I'll look at the keywords and I'm like, what, what did I mean that? by that? Yeah. yeah. I know that feeling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of firearms terminology in there. Bullet points, triggers, it's interesting you should say that because I'm wearing my Steven Crowder gun uh, gun uh, holster today. Yeah, but, uh, you're, but you're not wearing that out in public anytime soon. Why not? <laughs> I I was kind of just joking, but you know the shooting that happened. People are all extra sensitive about guns right now. Oh, there was a shooting. So, oh, really? <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm oh, okay. Joking, I'm joking. Okay, good. Yeah, that was a good one though. <laughs> uh, oh, you know what? There's one other thing I want to talk about. Let me just make a note here. Um, here. And the keywords are shame and Twitter. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Uh, okay. So, first things first. What's new, man? I haven't talked to you in a week. You seem like you might be a teensy bit down. Are you down? I'm just. I didn't get to get any coffee this morning. I pulled into the Dunkin' Donuts parking lot, and it was wrapped around the fucking building. So, oh, uh, it's the worst. Do you want? Uh, you want some coffee, no, I'm man? Because I'll good. go upstairs and get you some coffee. No, I'm good. It's mushroom coffee. Mushroom coffee. Yeah, you know the uh, four, sim- four sigmatic. Yeah. No, I'm good though. Thank yeah. you though. That yeah. sounds interesting though. I mean, I've heard of it before. I don't think I've ever had it though. I think it, I think it was a sponsor on Joe for a while. Probably. But I, yeah. It sounds like something that would be a sponsor for Joe Rogan. Mushroom coffee. So I saw a uh, a talk on on I think it was YouTube, but it was being advertised on Twitter between uh, Philip Goff, the panpsychist guy, mm-hmm. and um, uh, was it Philip Goff? I think it was, and Paul Stamets, and a bunch of other people. Yeah. And I thought that man, that would have been cool to hear the mushroom guy talk to the panpsychist guy. You know, about is it on YouTube? Yeah, 
watch I, it. <laughs> I'd, have to, I'd have to go through my huge then watch it. <laughs> Speaking of which, I uh, I bumped into a, um, well, I just met a dude at the playground. I took the, um, the girls to the playground and uh, met a dude. And um, where was it going? I've already lost my train of thought. Met a dude at the playground. S- sketchy story already. What were we talking about just before that? Mushrooms, Paul Stamets, Philip Goff, mm. mushroom coffee. Mushroom coffee. Fucking a man! What this dude at the playground? What'd you talk to him about? Well, he's he's from California, okay. And uh, uh, he was an interesting dude. Like we um, we hit it off like pretty much right away. Yeah. Uh, well, I was wearing a I was wearing a Take Him Back Sunday T shirt, and he was like, "I like your shirt, man." And I was like, "Oh, you got kids? I got kids. Let's be friends." And um, we, we so immediately we started talking about psychedelic drugs and uh, uh, you know. But I just can't remember where the thread was. I was going somewhere with that. How did you immediately start talking about psychedelic drugs? I'll tell you how it went. I'll tell you how it went down. So the guy, so the dad, the dads, the, the women are always more engaged with the kids, mm. and the dads just sort of watching like a sentinel, you know, just making sure nothing bad happens. Yeah. Um, and uh, we were, so we were just kind of standing aside talking, and he he said some something about a show. I can't remember what it was anymore, and I said. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, he was like, you got to have a couple beers first before you watch it. And I was like, yeah, I, you know, I, I can do that, but it's not my, it's not my substance of choice. And he was like, me either. That's all it took. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, all, that's all it, it took. That's funny. Yeah. Or you, when you say a show, you mean like a television like show? Like a television show oh. or a movie. I can't remember what it was. I don't, that's something I don't have a lot of experience with is doing drugs. Well, I mean, smoking weed and watching TV, that's like, that goes hand in hand. Like lamb and tuna fish. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, like dropping acid and then watching TV, it's not really. Nope. Not what I would, you know. Nope. Not the activity I would cho- choose to do. Although I have done it in the past, but mostly just like watching concert footage. Oh yeah, that's a different thing. Yeah. That's a different thing. Um. Which is fun. I mean, it's better to be there, but... Yeah. I think there's something weird about watching TV in that state of mind. I mean, not marijuana, but maybe in some sense, sure. situations. But it's um, something about it being representational. It's like, when you take psychedelic drugs, the world seems illusory anyway. Things start to break down. It seems things start to seem a little bit less solid than they once were. So you already have this um, feeling of like falseness about the about the world it has this suspicion of falseness that you get when you're in when things start looking weird and feeling weird and you're experiencing things like you never have before um it makes you question reality then you sit down and you watch tv which is a representation of reality it's like a it's like double abstracted you know you have the abstraction of the of the mystic uh you know intuition that you're in plus you're staring at a box that's already you know a step removed from reality so you're like two steps removed from reality um that doesn't sound all that fun although maybe it maybe it's interesting Could i don't be, know yes yeah i don't know and maybe if it's a david attenborough nature documentary sure or like pink floyd and and like the wizard of oz or something like that mm. i've been watching this show called quark science quark science quark science it's got it's a uh, documentary, science, physics documentary, hosted it's about by like wine corks. You're doing uh, science experiments um, with wine corks, among other things. Okay, yeah, got no, it. <laughs> no, that the host is that guy Jim Al Khalili, who I've talked about before. He's done tons of these physics documentaries, and that's where my physics education comes from. Because you know, what am I going to do? Go back to college? Mm. Yeah, I don't think so. No. So, um, so anyway, th- th- there's this episode um, that I've been watching, and he's talking about 
self-organization in nature and how it's just I watch something like that it's like strictly physics and it's so mysterious and interesting and I just when I it like inspires me to to new depths of hippiness when I watch those shows and this one was about like I say self-organization and there's this chemical that some scientists found out oh, once upon a time I'm trying to remember what it did like it lit up oh that's what it was it would uh this this mixture this chemical mixture would change from uh clear to opaque and then back again in random intervals so it's like the chemicals are mixing and when they mix they be- they become clear and then they unmix Mm. And then they mix and they unmix, and it happens on a molecular level or an atomic level. So it, it's almost like um, like a metronome or something. Like on, on a certain beat, after a certain amount of time, it changes. And scientists were like, "What the fuck is going on?" They had no explanation for it at the time. And then they, so scientists kept studying this. And then eventually, what they did was they somebody put it in a petri dish to see what it would look like. Rather than mix it in a in a jar or whatever you want to call it, they put it in a petri dish. And what happened in the Petri dish is that the chemicals, instead of mixing and unmixing, they started like moving, like the shape, the, the opaque color would appear in rings. And then the rings would move through the, through the Petri dish. It was almost like you're, you're putting drops in a, in a still pond, a drop over here, a drop over there. And you're watching the, the waves merge and make different shapes. So you end up like, I don't know if it's time-lapsed imagery, maybe it is, but you can see the motion in the Petri dish. And it's like the shapes keep changing and interfering with each other back to clear and opaque, but not just changing color, all these crazy patterns and shapes. And so the point he was making was there's something strange about nature that we don't understand where things will, things will automatically organize. Chaos will automatically organize. And you can see it with these chemicals. You know, they're, they're, they're in a state of chaos and they're in a state of order. Where did it come from? I don't know. How long is it going to last? Anybody's guess. It just turns back into chaos again. And uh, then he was showing it in plants, like all that fractal geometry that you see in plants, like the the weird shape of like Asian cauliflower. It's just like all these fractal cones, you know, in different in different sizes all over the place. It was so fucking cool. Yeah, it makes me. It just makes me wish I understood the math better. I just, I don't know, man. It's pretty racist that Asian cauliflower has to be super organized and associated with math. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, you, you, you hit me. Uh, I wasn't wasn't prepared for that, but it makes me think of a article I read this morning about this species of worm from yeah. Asia. It's apparently got brought over here with plants, so they would bring exotic plants over, mm-hmm. and they have a you know like the root bed, the ball, and it's got worms in it from Asia, and they bring it over and plant it in the United States, and these worms go crazy and apparently they're spreading you know how that happens yep. they're spreading all over the place but here's the thing these worms can jump what up to a foot in the air that's crazy a worm a worm dude that's insane they jump how do they jump that's what the fuck i would do like they have to know legs they don't have legs man uh, i don't know how they do it um i also wonder how they would be for fishing you know yeah, because you want the worm to move around. That's what attracts the fish. Yeah, you, you know, you got like a super worm ma- jumping a foot in the in, in the in the in the water, man. It's crazy. So, do you eat that fish after it eats the Asian worm? Yeah, that's a good question. Is that racist too? I mean, I don't know. Are you are you hungry? Five minutes later. Yeah, the fish probably is. Mm. I was watching a fishing show with my girls this morning. 
yeah. saltwater fishing show. I was telling them about how the, all the crazy fish they might catch in the ocean. You never know what you're going to catch. You might catch a shark. Possible. And then the kids were absolutely fascinated by the idea that you could catch a shark on a fishing pole. Yeah. And, and Freya said, or <laughs> my youngest daughter said, you know, the, sh- the shark will bite you. And my oldest daughter said, I'll bite the shark before it bites me. And I was like, yeah, good for you, girl. <laughs> good for you. Be on the offensive. Hell yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, how is the no smoking and no eating carbs going? How's that going, man? Both still going. Are you finding the discipline difficult? Um, no, I wouldn't say that I find it difficult. I just find life fucking boring. It's so funny. You know, it's like, um, yeah, no, it's just boring. <laughs> how long have you gone? Is it like three weeks now? Without smoking, yeah, it's been actually almost a month for no smoking for the for the keto. It's been maybe a little over three weeks. Okay, it's inspiring to me uh, I, I, that you're doing that. And I was thinking about that yesterday, and then yet at, at some point in the afternoon yesterday, I was like, I'm doing it too. Yeah. And by the end of the day, I was I was not doing it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. it is inspiring to me. Um, so you know, cool. I, I'd like to get on that. Get on that bandwagon. I'm going on vacation, not next week, but the week after. So I'm not doing it then. I mean, oh yeah. You know, I'll try to be maybe a little bit better than I would be, but I'm definitely. I mean, I, I don't know that I'll be smoking, but yeah, I'll definitely be eating some <laughs> carbohydrates and sugar. I uh, without question. Yeah, the most difficult thing for me I'm finding now is. Is beer, and that's a weird thing, man, because I never really liked it. Um, during COVID, I drank a lot more of it than I ever before, and I kind of got a taste for for certain things. And now that the weather's warming up, yeah, I'm like I want a motherfucking Hefeweizen. Give me a, give me a delicious, crisp Hefeweizen. And, and uh, they've been harder to find, but I've been, but I've been, I've been partaking, and uh, it's a mistake, man. Beer does not Especially agree, beer agree like with that. me. Well. Why does it not agree with you? Just uh, for all kinds of reasons. It makes me fat like nothing else. Well, yeah, that's what I was saying, especially beer like that. You know, like Bud Lights, even Budweiser, It's but you get something like that, and yeah. it's got some fucking calories. Sure does, it. man. Like unfiltered. It's like yeah. cloudy. It's good, though. Gorgeous. It's so good, man. Yeah. Um, I think this summer makes me want to drink beer when it's hot outside. Yeah. You know? And part of that is like, remember my dad just having a cold one in the summer? You know, okay. it's like a man, that's what a man does when he gets hot and he's, and he, you know, in the summer. Yeah. He wipes the sweat off his brow. He, he cracks open an ice, an ice cold bush <laughs> and yes, he drinks indeed. it, you know? Um, and then Jessica and I, for the last like several years when we would do yard work, uh, we would drink Coronas. And so now I have this association between Coronas and, uh, the summer. So when it gets warm, it's like Pavlov's conditioning. I'm like, you know what sounds good? A Mexican lager. The good news is everybody's making Mexican lagers now. Yeah. Yeah. So like around here, there's lots of microbrews and I'm, fi- I'm finding them everywhere. S- Sibling Revelry has one. Um, uh, Great Lakes has one. I don't know if this is true or not, uh, but I heard that Corona was actually started by German people. I heard that too. I think it is true. Yeah. And German people right after the Second World War, I think. Yeah, they went. They went to South America and apparently Mexico. Yeah, like crazy. Can't really blame them. No. Um, is that what kind of what kind of um, cultural appropriation is that? 
is it cultural appropriation? I don't know, man. They're selling it as a Mexican beer, and I guess it is a Mexican. It's a Mexican beer like uh, like Elon Musk is African. You I know? think at this, yeah, at this point, no. I would say at this point, it is a Mexican beer. But back then, like immediately when they moved there, we're like, this is a Mexican beer. Probably not. <laughs> they were probably just like, yeah, uh, this is a German beer made with Mexican Cor- water. Corona, I mean, that means crown. That which is Latin, so maybe they did. Maybe like right out of the gate. Although I don't know when maybe. it took on the name Corona. Yeah, they, it was probably Koenig at the, in the beginning. They're like, let's make it sound a little more Mexican-y. <laughs> Corona, okay. <laughs> at least yeah. it's a romance language. Koenig, that's that's how you say king in German, right? Yes, it is. How's the German going? Are you still studying it? Yep, I got 122 days in a row. That's fantastic. Let me let me let's get back to the being bored when you're not smoking because I I don't want to let that go. I have. Uh, felt that feeling before um and i and i was just talking about, about this with my sister or to my sister i told her that like what you watch on tv changes dramatically if you're smoking or if you're not smoking um because i like way more serious shit if i'm not smoking i want it to be more challenging i want it to be more like complicated mm. if i'm smoking i want it to be archer you know i want it to be uh you know American Dad or something. Yeah, I don't... I don't know... Like, I think we have different styles of TV watching, probably in general. Well, you're watching YouTube, aren't you? Yeah, I watch a lot of YouTube and stuff like that. Um, But, yeah, when I'm smoking, I would... I do... You know, sometimes I want to watch, you know, know, Archer. That's fine. I haven't watched Archer in forever. I I do love that show. (laughs) Um, But... I don't know. I don't know that there is much of a difference when I'm smoking and when I'm not the stuff that I watch on TV. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, you describe being bored, and I guess, like, I I just can remember many instances where I'm sitting there watching something that I would usually love. I'd be eat I'd be eating it up. I'd be laughing out loud, and I'm just watching it with like stone faced. Like this is this is the most ridiculous shit. Um, that and I would be bored by that. So that's what I'm imagining. Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily, like I said, I don't think there's much of a difference in the type of stuff that I watch. So I don't know that it's uh, a factor of what's being watched and so much is just... Um, you enjoy it less. I guess, yeah. Mm. So maybe you should try watching something different. I mean, I try to watch different shit all the time. Uh-huh. I've been watching that show Billions. I've been watching a lot of that. We started watching it. But, well, oh, yeah? your recommendation and, and uh, my wife's boss recommendation. So once we had two recommendations, we're like, all right, we should probably watch it. Yeah. So we're like on episode six of, of season one. The first three seasons are pretty solid. Oh. After that, it kind of gets just like the same shit over and over again. These like powerful people fucking with each other. And it's just like, I, I fucking get it. Yeah. I'm still powering through it. It's kind of like, kind of like house of cards. The last couple seasons of it. Well, you, I mean, when Spacey was gone, it was, it was the show was over already. Yeah. But. That show is interesting though. Billions because, you know, I know it's a TV show and there's going to be some deviation from reality but i wonder how much there is you know like i wonder like you get to you get these people who get to well okay so first you've got billionaire people and they can you know i think that there's <laughs> definitely truth to that in that that they can kind of do whatever the fuck they want yep. you know yep um because they've got the resources to to you know pay people to keep their mouths shut and i don't even i don't mean necessarily like killing people although that too i don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility but just like 
They can get away with stuff that you and I would never be able to get away with because they can grease the wheels and, you know. For um, sure. For sure. But then you've got the public official part, like the Paul Giamatti. Mm -hmm. And I do wonder how much of it is these people using their official power to further their own interests and, you know, also greasing wheels in their own ways, doing things for the billionaires, things like that. Um and I have to imagine that it's not far off from reality. If you know, maybe a little spiced up to make it exciting yeah. for TV. But I bet yeah. you there's. You well, know. they definitely spiced it up with like the kinky sex stuff that Paul Giamatti gets yeah, into. Yeah. And although I've heard there's a lot of people like that who get up to those levels of you know power, and that's yeah. their their kink. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I picked up the point right away that you made the first time when you brought up the show, which you said you've got this like from a from a high level you've got this rich uber rich dude who's above the law and across from him you've got this public official that sacrificed let's say his chance to be wealthy so that he could serve the the public interest and so from that level from that high level you think you know who the hero and villain is and to your point when you start watching it, it just it, it it's not clear who the who the villain and who the hero is, and it goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I'm not through season one yet, but I fucking hate Paul Giamatti. Really, I fucking hate him. Yeah, you know he's he he's like clueless. He's a smart guy. He's playing 3D chess in this political game that he's in, but he like doesn't understand himself. You know, he 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 has no he he's like driven by his his instincts and impulses that he doesn't have control over. He seems like a weak human being to me in, in psychological ways. Um, in social ways, he's, he's very dominant. You know, he bully, he bullies people around. He's always in control. He's always two steps ahead and all that. But the, like, like you said, the guy, he's got this weird kink. Um, it's driving him to go out into, to take risks with his, remember he went out to that sex club in season one mm-hmm. and, you know it's like he's he's doing something uh like that apart from his wife he's a well-known public official he's going into a public place where he could be seen doing risky things um meanwhile he, his his instinct to climb the 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 ladder the, the political ladder is always behind his his um decisions you can you can tell that and uh the worst part about Paul Giamatti is that um or his character in that um, oh, I'm losing it. The worst part about him. The worst is... part about it. Climax. Uh, the worst part about him is what? Oh, shit, man. Oh, I lost it. I, it kept coming back to me and then falling away. It might come back to me again. Yeah. Um, the point is, I I think he's uh, the villain right now. I think, I think he's the villain. It's funny because I don't think that he's supposed to be, you know? That's interesting. Yeah. It's like the guy the guy's is self-interested. He's a self-interest Oh, that's what it was. He's a self-interested politician, but he's deluded to the idea that he is. He's like Ellsworth Tui. You remember yes, him? Yes, Ryan Rand, yes. Um yes. And and what what's happened to him and he doesn't realize it is that he's been working for the law so long Mm -hmm. that now he believes he's the arbiter of the law. Now he believes that what he wants and thinks 
and where he wants to bring justice, like it's his decision. He's he's now above the law. Yeah. And that's the worst part about Paul Giamatti's character, is that he's been corrupted and doesn't even fucking know it's it. It's like Judge Dredd. <laughs> I am the law. <laughs> exactly, man. Um, yeah, I know. I get what you mean. Um, I don't hate Paul Giamatti. I, I don't even in the beginning, I didn't hate Paul Giamatti's character. Um, but I do kind of think that Axe is supposed to be the bad guy and, and you know, kind of like um, just like the way thing culturally, the way things are today, billionaires are the bad guys. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't land with me when I watch yeah, it, man. I'm either. like, uh-uh. I like, I, I, I mean, you know, like I said, I think I watched the show and I think that they're both doing things that I understand and things that I think are assholeish, you know, um, like you watch the show and you know Axe is an asshole like but he's also he seems like a good father you know to to a certain extent him and his smoking well, hot wife Malin Ackerman hold seem on. like they have a how, good relationship how is Axe an asshole he doesn't seem like an asshole to me apart from apart from when he's strategically yelling at his employees I guess just keep watching the show I don't want to like ruin okay. anything for you okay he doesn't seem like an asshole to me um it, like for instance Right now, in spoiler alert, in season one of Billions, if you fucking haven't watched it yet, spoiler alert, uh, there's this there's this thing where they're they're trying to bury him, and you can see this like Trump esque thing where the politicians are are slowly taking angle after angle trying to bury Axe, and he's this like hedge fund billionaire type guy. <coughs> where was it going with that? God damn, it's early in the morning, man. Um, you were def- you're saying he doesn't seem like an asshole. Yeah. For shit, man. I don't know where I was going. Yeah, it happens. This is a rough morning. Time. Yeah, it is. Um, but I do like the show. Um, oh, I know. It was it was what they were trying to do to him. They were trying to pin him down, Trump style, trying to trying to get rid of him. And the last thing that they've done is they've discovered that when he made his fortune, it was 9-11. It was immediately after 9-11. Oh, okay, yeah. And so this is the story that they paint for everybody. This mm. asshole... Was getting was getting fired by his boss at the hedge fund when the planes hit the buildings and it was chaos ensued and people died and um, Axe some, somehow survived. It's not clear to me how, but he, maybe he wasn't in the building. Yeah, he wasn't in the so building. So he he survives. <clears throat> Everyone dies. He his job at that point and had had been for a while is to find opportunities in the market and make more money than everyone else does. That that's what he's been paid the big bu- big bucks for, and he realizes after nine eleven that there's an opportunity for him to short hotels and travel in Europe because he knows after this happens, that shit's, you know, the, the, that industry is going to take a hit. So he immediately acts, um, by, uh, shorting those, those hotels and travel places in Europe, whatever airplanes or whatever. I don't know what he does. And he makes a shit ton of money. And the way that the media paints it, the way that the politicians paint it is, can you believe this asshole took Take advantage of a tragedy, tragedy. Yeah. and blah, 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 blah. And I'm watching that and all of those things are not, they're missing. It's yeah. like, here's my heart and those arrows are coming and they're nowhere near the center. I'm like, what, what did he do wrong here? What the fuck did this guy do wrong? He did nothing illegal. He saw an opportunity. He acted quickly. That was his fucking job. Yeah, there was a tragedy. That's very sad. What does that have to do with the price of eggs in China? What did this man do wrong? Yep. And and the audience watching it is supposed to think he's a villain because of, because he took advantage of a tragedy. And I'm like, dude, that's the kind of bullshit that the media paints every single day that we see in our lives. And it's always bullshit. Yeah, I don't. 
But like, why? I understand when there's a tragedy and you benefit from it. Like, if people are not thinking about it deeply, that can look bad. But, like, what is the problem with... Why is it bad to get a positive from a tragedy? You'd think that's good. It's like, well, that's awful, but at least we can do this. You know, at least we can... I don't, look, I don't man, know. If, if, if what X did was take a bunch of life insurance policies out <clears throat> for, of the people that were in, you know, the, the, the Twin Towers. Yeah, sure. That's, and then it happened and he yeah. benefited from it. Yeah, yeah, he must have fucking known something. That guy's a crook and he's, you know, he, you know those are ill-gotten gains. But that's not what happened. Yeah. He was as surprised as anybody by the tragedy. But he had his, he had his composure... And, and that's fucking heroic. In the midst of chaos, when everybody in the world doesn't know what the fuck's going on, at least everyone in our country, that, that guy, this fictional character, by the way, yeah. <laughs> that, that guy has his shit together. And he, you know, that's, that's an adult, man. That's a heroic thing that in the face of chaos and tragedy that you can maintain your composure and continue to act and continue to keep the wheels turning. I mean, if, if we, we say that the doctors um, and the nurses were heroes during COVID because they did that. Yeah. But we but we pretend this Axe Capital guy in a fictional world did that during 9-11, and he's a villain, and they're heroes? What the fuck is the difference, man? Yeah. Um, and he did a bunch of positive stuff with the money, too. Like, he put all the, you know, paid for all the funerals, put all the kids through school. Started a successful business to yeah. keep all those people that survived in work, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, fa- the fact that that sort of a message that these, that, what, what billions is Showtime, right? So yeah. the Showtime people... That they're convinced that that message is going to land on the, the audience as, and we're all going to agree that he's a villain. And I'm like, what in the fuck is wrong with our society when, when we're all willing to say, well, because basically what we're doing in that situation is saying that, again, fictional character, but Axe is somehow responsible for 9-11. That's what we're saying, because where does the guilt come from? You're associating him with 9-11 and saying he has a share in the in the um, tragedy. He has a share of the responsibility. See, I don't, that's what they're trying to get us to believe. That's not how I see it. I see it as he's taking advantage of tragedy and that that is somehow inherently bad. And I do understand how, like I said, just with the way culture is right now, how that can like rub some people. It doesn't really rub me the wrong what, way. What does taking advantage of tragedy mean? I, I mean, like... I don't know, like just benefiting from a tragedy. I can understand how that rubs people the wrong way. I don't think that there's anything wrong with it necessarily. But, yeah, but but it's not benefiting. In this case, it's not benefiting from the tragedy directly. It's indirectly benefiting from the tragedy that he had nothing to do with. You know, I don't. I mean, I understand what you're saying. But and so, don't you think that what the what what the implication is is that Axe contributed to the tragedy by making it worse? I don't know. Maybe. That's what I mean. There's like, why is that supposed to land and everyone's supposed to understand it? You know, it didn't land for me. And I'm, and I'm thinking how many sheeple out there heard this message and were like, fucking Axe is a villain. Um, it just, it doesn't sit well with me that the society would be so easily swayed by that weak ass argument. It didn't, it didn't sound reasonable to me. Like I thought there's no fucking way in the real, in the real world, there's no fucking way this this would bury someone like Axe. There's no way. Yeah. And maybe I'm fucking naive. That wouldn't, no, wouldn't be the first time. I don't think that you're naive. I think that you're right. I'm just, what I'm saying is that 
like it or not, I do think that that kind of stuff bothers people. You know? Yes. When but you, why? I don't know, man. That's that's the question. Why would it bother somebody that uh, a hedge fund billionaire made a wise decision during a crisis that benefited that benefited him and his firm? He did his job well in a time when you know many people weren't able to act. He acted and did something positive. Yeah. You know, and if you don't think that shorting uh, hotels and airlines during during after nine eleven would be positive, it is because what people don't realize is that shorting and hedging positions, what they do is they they regulate prices and you're pricing in the future. That's what the market does. It says, oh, this shit's happened. It's going to cause profitability to fall. We have to protect ourselves. We we have to, it's all, the, all that buying and selling and hedging and trading is designed to stabilize prices and to, and to make it predictable into the future so that we're not paying $100 for a hotel room one day and $700 the next day. That's, that's what the markets do. Yeah. Where's the problem? You know, and and so many so many people just hook, line, and sinker said, you know, well, I wouldn't have done that. That's a terrible thing that he did. Why, dude? Think about it. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I get heated sometimes for no fucking reason. <laughs> um, so one thing I've been wondering about after watching that show is, you know, insider trading is illegal. Um, and I, I just, I don't. I, I guess I just don't understand it enough, but I don't really understand. Is it that bad? Is it like morally reprehensible to 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 trade off of an inside tip? Well, the idea is that if the information isn't public, that you have an advantage over every other investor. And if you only have like a hundred bucks to invest, it doesn't make a difference. But yeah. if you have a hundred billion dollars and you have information twelve hours before the world does, you can make billions of dollars is that fair that that's why they say no yeah you know and it happens you know but i just don't know how i feel about it i don't know if it is not fair you know i think it's not fair yeah i think it's not fair um because okay not fair but fair i mean i don't know i should we be throwing people in prison for it life's not fair yeah that's a good that's a good point uh it just seems like this, this is where the liberal is going to come out in me. It just seems like the people that are more likely to have inside information and to benefit from it are in a unique position to do that. You know, yeah. they're rich people. They're in the know people. They're high up people. You know, they're connected people. They're not rank and file people. They're not, you yeah. know, they're not your working Joe. So the people that are going to take advantage of it, you know, like like Martha Stewart or something. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck kind of inside information she was able to get, but apparently she was. The price of linen was dropping or something. Yeah. She knew. I do think... She does sell sheets and shit, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I do think that politicians... I mean, the, the movement that we're seeing now for politicians to not be allowed to participate in the market, um, I think that is probably a really good thing. It's going to... It's, it will do something to cut off the corruption um, that's inherent in, in high office. Um, and not everybody's going to have inside information, but if you're debating a bill that's going to affect the farming industry or something like subsidies and you turn around and you short a bunch of, yeah. you know, agricultural stocks, that's fucked yeah, up, I man. I see the problem with that for sure. So that, I don't think that should be allowed. And then, but do you remember last year, Nancy Pelosi defended it violently, yeah. you know, politicians should be able to participate in the market, yeah, you yeah. know? 
And, I'm, there, and there's a libertarian part of me that goes, absolutely, they should just like anybody else. But like I say, if you if you are in the know about that kind of shit, how is that okay? Not only in the know, like in the driver's seat. Yes. That's, you, yeah, you get to cast a vote to make that happen or not. Fucking yeah. A, man. Yeah. Fucking Nancy Pelosi. She's, I mean, you look at how much money she's got and what she does for a living, and she doesn't make that much fucking money. Oh, yeah. I mean, she makes a lot of money. You make a lot of money as Speaker of the House and, you know, more money than I make, yeah. but not millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, yeah, she, and, make, she makes like between two and 400K a year, and she's worth millions, yeah. tens of millions, probably hundreds of millions. Yeah. How's that happen? I, you know... I would assume that there's some funky business going on there. That lady is the crypt keeper, man. And it's not just her. There's lots of people like that. But the longer you stay in high office like that, the more shriveled and, and, and de- deformed your soul becomes. And then it starts to show. Like she looks like a fucking old lady, white white old lady version of Michael Jackson at the end. <laughs> yeah. You know, God damn. Yep. I saw somebody some on Twitter, some, you know, conservative person was bringing up all that. Like... Look at all this money she's made when she doesn't, you know, she doesn't make that much money from her legal job. Um, And then somebody was like, yeah, well, what about, um, who's the guy, what's the guy's name? Jared Kushner and all the money he made. And and it's like, why why don't you ever bring that up? It's like, I, I mean, I didn't say this because I wasn't the person who said it in the first place, but it's like, I do have a problem with that. If Jared Kushner did similar things to Nancy Pelosi, I do have a problem with that. And I'm happy to bring it up. Why don't you, why aren't you mad about Nancy Pelosi doing it? You know, like what, what the fuck are you talking about? Why? Like it's, it's down to the tribalism. Like this person's on my side. So it's fine that she does the same thing that I'm shitting my pants about Jared Kushner doing. And to be fair, Jared Kushner is a business person and was involved in like the, the area where he made a bunch of money before he got into politics. Mm, So it like makes more sense that he would be making that money. So I just, I fucking hate people, man. Politics, you know, I just fucking hate it. Me too, man. It brings out the worst in normal people, you know? We used to, not even that long ago, we used to have an insult for politicians. That was a, it was a nail in the, in the heart, like a vampire uh, solution type of thing. And it was flip flopper. That's oh, all yeah. we had to say. We're like, you said this 12 years ago, and now you're saying the opposite. You, you know, back in, back then, it was like a lot of a lot of times about gay marriage mm-hmm. and abortion. You know, you flip-flop, that's what it was about. Um, but now, you know, fast forward 20 years, and flip-flopping is nobody gives a shit. There's no, um, there's no expectation of, um, what's the word? Um, consistency. consistency. There's no expectation of consistency that the people who are casting votes for uh, a, a, a political uh, person um, doesn't no no longer cares w- whether they're flip floppers, yeah. and in fact they're almost expected to as the party changes their mind to cha- to go along with it, and it's disgusting. Yeah. How do we not see that? You got no principles, you know. The only person that I know about who's been in politics long term that has stayed consistent is fucking Ron Paul. Who else? Who else? Yeah. You know? Ron Paul is the man. Ron Paul is the man. <clears throat> Speaking of Ron Paul, uh, the Libertarian National Party, they're having their convention or whatever the hell it is in Reno right now. And the, you know, the 
faction of libertarians in the libertarian party that I like the most, the uh, like the Ron Paul types, um, did really well. Oh, good. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I still have... I'm happy. I like the Mises Caucus. I think they like... I vibe with them more than pretty much anyone else in politics for the most part. Yep. Um, but I'm still just like skeptical of like, what are you going to do with it? You know, like I just, I don't I, like, I don't really know what it means for the libertarian party in general for, you know, the, uh, like the landscape of American politics. It, it seems like almost insignificant. Pro- probably, but it, but it points to something it points to a change of philosophy at some level, which is interesting and, and positive. Yeah. It's just that the Libertarian Party only makes up a small percentage of the voters. It's not likely to make a big difference, you know? Yeah. I just hope that, you know, this lady Angela McArdle is now the chair of the Libertarian Party. Uh, the one guy who was potentially going to come on our podcast, but it fell through, Joshua Smith. I think he's the vice chair now. Um but I'm not sure if he won. I think he probably will, though. Uh, but basically, just a lot of people who are good, in what I consider good libertarians, uh, are in positions of power in the national uh, party now. So I, I hope that maybe that will be a benefit towards someone like Dave Smith being the nominee and just like him being able to make some kind of a splash when we get to the presidential election. It's, it's interesting because when I got into politics originally, it was in the like early to mid two thousands. It was like two thousand six, and um, something like that. And I remember saying to myself at the time, like, why can't the libertarians win more liberal, um, otherwise liberal folks to the party? Because you've got something for everybody yeah. in a libertarian. And I, you know, I could see at the time uh, people like Bob Barr and. Uh, um, the fucking guy's name that ran with them, uh, Wayne Allen Root, and some of those guys, um, they were basically Republicans, right? Yeah. And uh, the party was attracting people that were Republican, and what they were most interested in was reigning in the government, the federal government. We should be spending less, you know, like the John Stossel stuff. Get rid of the Department of Education. Get get you know get, start 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 trimming the budget, start trimming the fat, being more responsible and make the federal government smaller. And I thought, that sounds terrific. You know, let's, let's, let's do that. And then I'm like, well, libertarians are also perfectly, perfectly happy with, you know, all the liberal social ideas. Mm-hmm. So why can't we win um, people that aren't willing to spend us into oblivion but otherwise want gay marriage, they want, you know, uh, equal equal rights, they want all these all these liberal things. Why not bring them into the fold? And at the time, it was completely impossible because what you really had with the upcoming generation of liberals, all the young college kids, was a whole bunch of communists. That's what you had. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you can put a communist, especially a naive one, a young and naive one, in, the, in a democratic camp – and they can more or less fit in, especially when the party is moving in that direction. And that, that's what was happening at the time. But how do you take a socialist and make him a libertarian? You know? Yeah. Very, very fucking difficult. Yeah. Um, and, and then what happened when I stopped paying attention was exactly what I hoped for. Young people came into the party and they were all fucking socialists. And, and, and you know, there's all kinds of libertarian conversations that are happening now and over the last 10 years that I don't even fucking understand. 
Like, what happened? Like, what? What do you mean? Well, the party got flooded with young people, and the young people brought these oh, ideas, yeah. and the, and not just ideas, but they brought in what this is what we think is important. And it wasn't the Wayne Allen Root and Bob Barr stuff. It wasn't the John Stossel stuff. It wasn't the Judge Napolitano stuff. It was something else. Yeah. And it, it ripped the party apart. And you weren't paying attention when that happened, and I was not, man. So I know we don't, we don't have to get into this conversation necessarily, but it's just a surprise to me. I think that, I think that you can kind of fuse all even like the socialist type people together uh with the I, I think that you can have a big tent and you know cover all of those people and the way you do that is um there's a word that i'm looking for that i can't find right now but basically it's just like uh small groups you know like you if you want to build your little socialist thing do it that's fine but i don't have to be a part of it yeah. if you guys want to do it good let's see if it works you know um, and if we want to over here do our ultra capitalist thing, that's fine. Let's do that. We'll see if that works. I have yeah. a feeling it's going to work better. Uh, yeah. Um, but I mean, honestly, I, I don't even, I, I don't even really have a problem with the idea of small scale socialism. Honestly, it's kind of what I want. I, you know, I like that. I like that idea of a small community taking care of each other. Sure. Willingly. Yeah. That's the, that's the key part. And if I want to leave, if I decide this isn't working for me, I should be able to leave without, you know, yeah. my head being on the chopping block. It's funny because I don't hate that idea as much as um, a top-down thing. Yeah. It's like if our federal government decides that we're moving in a socialist direction, uh, I mean, we, they've already decided that. Yeah. But, but let's just say that they continue down that, that, down that route and we become a socialist country or a communist country in the future. That is decided upon from the top and the flavor and the structure of the of the economic system and the support and the involvement of the government at all levels is decided from the top down. Yeah. There's one way we're going to do it. How'd that work in the in the Soviet Union? Not well. Not well. What, now, I bring put my libertarian hat on and join you. I'll come over in your park and say, what happens if we have a thousand different styles of communist? Um, government that's allowed, let's say at a at a local or a state level, that's allowed to be an experiment. Then you're going to have a thousand different ways in which that could be done, and 940 of them are going to fail. And then you're going to find out what is actually doable. Mm -hmm. That will never happen from the top down. Never, yeah. never, never. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I. Uh, that's that's kind of. That's kind of what I see as the only viable option. I mean, I'm talking about like secession, you know, a, a breaking up of the United States. I, I don't, I don't see how we're going to be able to keep going. As polarized as people's opinions are right now, I don't understand how we're going to be able to keep going as this one massive unit. Doesn't make sense. Yeah, for me. you know, I agree with you, and I also wonder, like, growing up, we were indoctrinated to some degree um, to be rah-rah about the United States and kids aren't anymore, yeah. but we were, you know, the land of the free, the home of the brave, hand over your heart, take off your fucking hat, America. Um, you know, we were proud of that and uh, we're not anymore. And I wonder, um, oh, I'm losing it again. <laughs> Where were we? People used to be proud of it. Now we're not. And what did you say just before I went off on that rant? 
that I think it doesn't make sense for us to be one giant union. That's what I think, it, that's uh, what it was. Balkanization. That's, that's the what word was. I was looking for. Ah, well, that, so that's that's my point. Is if we have a a new generation of kids that isn't indoctrinated into believing that America as a union is is important for the fate of the world, um, how how much how much more likely is it going to be that California breaks off from the rest of the country or Texas breaks off from the rest of the country because you don't have that unifying narrative, that patriotism that we grew up with, good or bad, I think it's more likely that the United States will fall apart because of that and. I wonder how I wonder if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I honestly don't know. I lean towards good thing. Um but, you know, who knows? I'm not I'm not Nostradamus over here. I mean, on the on the on the con side, a, a country that's divided is weaker. And so if we if we split up in certain ways and then we ever get attacked or even another civil war type situation, um we're not as as able to to protect ourselves. And so that's a, that's the conservative part of me coming out. Yeah. Um, I just think that America, as far as like an invasion, even if we're balkanized, we're a bunch of small, I I just, we have so many natural defenses, um, that I just don't really see that as that much of an issue. And also I think that if we were balkanized, you had like, you know, a bunch of small, I think that a lot of them would band together. I mean, you know, to, to, you know, the common defense of, yeah. you know, I guess America, you know, I, I do, I don't think that there needs to be like, uh, like you look at Europe and you've got the individual countries, but you know, they have, you know, they have, there's like a European pride, you know, like I think, uh, to a certain extent, if, um, you know, China came in, I mean, it, and was I don't, I'm just trying to pick a country. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. A, a, any of the Eastern European countries, if China was like, we're going to take over here, I think that it would be a problem for the rest of Europe. I don't think that they would just be like, well, you're on your own. You yeah, know? yeah. So, well, let me ask. Let me just change the subject slightly. Um, so I had a, a little brief exchange on Twitter recently that was political, and uh, you know, it's not, I'm I'm an anti-communist, and um, we could talk about whether that was an indoctrination or not, but I have reasons to believe that it's uh, a, a flawed philosophy and it will, it will never work. Um, so I got into a conversation about that with somebody who I assume is a communist, but I don't know. It was, he was uh, saying something negative about capitalism. And I said, I hope, I hope you're joking because what you're describing is not capitalism. It's, you know, he's describing crony capitalism. Sure. And I, and I said to the guy, I assume it was a guy <laughs> that, uh, that uh, capitalism is uh, a free market where people voluntarily exchange. It's it's voluntary on both sides of the transaction, and um, you know anything that you add on to that economic platform, that's not capitalism. That's something else. You're making it something else, and uh, and I just got berated by he was like you know like reverting to reading from a book like. No, capitalism is, uh, you know, the means of production owned and, you know, owned privately and enforced by, uh, by, uh, government. And, uh, so it's like you had this conversation about, about economics because capitalism is an economic system, but it's associated with certain types of political authority, you know, Mm -hmm. capitalism and communism have 
different types of governmental authority. They don't work. You don't. You don't have a, a communist economic system flourishing in a free market uh, in a in a in a free you know um, dem- democratic uh, country. It just doesn't happen. There's there's something else going on there. So here's the question: the means of production. When we talk about that from a capitalist versus communist perspective, what are we what are we talking about when we say the means of production? Um. I don't know, like the capital, sure. The tools, sure. The facilities, the, the labor. Yeah, the labor. Yeah, I think it kind of boils down to labor. It also boils down to like having the money. Like if we're talking about a factory, which if we go back to communism, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about industrialized, uh, you know, uh, jobs. Um, if we, uh, I, I rant too much, man. I'll constantly lose my thread. <clears throat> Point is, I don't know what the fucking point is. Point: The point is, labor is the means of production. You don't produce anything without labor. Yeah, I, I agree with that, go, and, but go ahead. So to say that the means of production is private, to me is like, look, I understand you're reading from a textbook, but the means of production being private means that workers are individuals. That's what it means. Mm-hmm. Means of labor, means of production is labor, and private means individual. So what you're saying is workers are people. Like you know what I mean? That's yeah. what you when you say the me, the the means of production are private. What you're saying are, are workers are people. And I it's like that's not a philosophical system. That's a fucking obvious statement. You're not you're not dis- making a distinction between capitalism and any other t- type of economic system by saying people are people, you know? So we got into this argument like that, like a semantic argument, and so much of that shit happens on Twitter. Uh, it's so frustrating, and yeah. I lost that battle. I know if you look at the the likes and the comments and the, I lost that battle. But I not not in my mind, I didn't. But I lost the battle in the court of public opinion, you know. And it's that's like it's like this weird elitist thing that I try to fight. I try to push down, and it and maybe it has something to do with that maniacal arrogance idea. It's like I feel like I'm right, you know, mm-hmm. and I can't convince anybody else that I'm right that's a weird situation to be in man like that's a weird that's an impossible situation yeah and it, it, it makes me wonder like how government works at all it makes me wonder how democracy works at all you know yeah I uh I, I, I'm going to go through your, your Twitter and try to find that because I'm interested <laughs> okay. I want to know if I know the person you were arguing with on any level um there was one thing on Twitter, and there's this person, I can't remember her Twitter handle, but she posted something that on the surface, if you just read it you're and you're like a typical, typical conservative type, you're going to be like losing your fucking mind. Yeah. But if you think about it for a minute and you like think about, uh, you know, the philosophy behind it, to me, I, I agree with her. Uh, she said that rights are a social construct. And people were losing their fucking minds, you know? Um, and I think it kind of... Go ahead. What, what do no, you I just want to say, like, let's talk that out. Okay. Rights are a social construct. Yeah. So to me, that means something like the idea of rights doesn't exist all by yourself. 
You have to be in a society for the idea of rights to to even exist. And it, it's because rights has something to do with governing your interaction with others. It's not about you. It's like the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> if you read the Ten Commandments, they make no sense. If, you, if there's only one human being on earth, the Ten Commandments make zero sense. Mm-hmm. You're like, uh, thou shalt not take any other God before me. Well, I'm the only dude. So my idea of God is the only God. How, how am I worshiping anybody else? The Ten Commandments make no sense if you're one person. And the idea of, of rights make no sense if you're one person. Because who's going to infringe on your rights? Mm-hmm. Because who's going to tell you, you know, what you can and can't do? So it only comes into play when you're dealing with other people. Okay, so rights are a social construct in the sense that, well, what do rights do? They don't exactly govern our interaction with other people. They just suppose that there are certain things other people can't take from you. Yeah. How am I doing? Good so far. Okay. So in that, so in that sense, rights are a social construct. But society, this is, society isn't a person, you know. It's not a judge with a, with a white wig on saying what goes. Society is mutually agreed upon between everybody. That's what a social contract is. It's right. So yeah, who, kind of. So so who makes who makes the rights? Those are the people in the society that mutually agree what cannot be taken from them. Right. I guess so. Yeah. Okay. So in that in that way, I would agree that rights are a social construction, with the only caveat being that what social is is you and me. And I think that people that is lost on people that society and government and you know that those aren't creatures all by themselves. They're higher level beings that we have to you know kowtow to. That's it's not the case. They're you and me. They're an aggregate of us. Mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. What else? Um, like what? What were people saying that that, that were lashing out against the idea? So a lot of people were kind of. I mean, the kind of typical conservative side of it is rights come from the Constitution, which I don't think makes any fucking sense. The mm. Constitution is a piece of paper. Yep. And um, even the Constitution doesn't say this paper grants you rights. It says you have inalienable rights, and we're just we're just illustrating them. I don't think that that's even true, that we have inalienable rights. I mean— I do. Yeah? I think that— in a state of nature, in a Hobbesian state of nature, assuming you're the only person that there is, you have every right. You can do whatever you want. You have every right. I kind of agree with that. It just depends on how you're, I guess it depends on how you're deploying that. Um, I think that you have the right to do what you can get away with. That's a Hobbesian, that's a Hobbesian yeah. statement. And I think that's true. From a, I think it's true from a, like a biological perspective. And that's like a lot of these people who are like, the rights come from, my rights come from the Constitution, my rights come from God, things like that. Um, I, I don't mind that my rights come from God stuff. because I guess, yeah, but a, again, it just depends on how you, how you deploy it in real life. Because if you say, I have the right to do this, and I say, if you do that, I'll kick your ass and stop you from doing it. You don't have the right to do that. Um so, uh, and well, you you have the right. You might not have the ability. Yeah, I guess. What's the difference? See, I think that's what the social contract is. I think it is a dance between people's wills. You know, you everybody has a will. We have desires for ourselves and for the world. And we, if it was just us, we could potentially fulfill all of those. But because we have other people around us with their own wills, we have to do this dance. 
that balances out my wills with everyone else's and that limits what's possible. And in some ways that's good and in some ways that's bad. Um, this is an interesting conversation, man, right? But I do think the, the idea of, um, I think the idea of ha- human beings in a state of nature having having all the rights. I'm not even sure that like you, that language makes sense if there's only one person. But when you have when you when you incorporate your individuality into a larger social whole, um, what what you have to do is find a way of preserving your freedom um, to do whatever you want, while allowing other people to do the same. And what that means is there's some things that are no longer options. You know, I don't know if I would say that they're no longer rights, but I guess maybe they are. Maybe in a social context, then that's what the social contract is. It's deciding what you're giving up in order to get along, you mm-hmm. know, but everyone has to agree on that. And nobody's ever going to, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Not everyone is ever, <laughs> what the yeah. fuck, how do I say this? Gonna, going People to are not always going to agree on everything. It's funny because I don't remember getting the proxy vote in the mail that said, this is the social contract. Uh, do you agree to it? I didn't sign the fucking constitution. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't my name yeah. is not on that thing. No. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that the idea of might makes right is like kind of repulsive to people. Like people are like, no, that's not right. But then they'll go vote and, you know, live that truth out. Yeah. So this always reminds me of a story Jordan Peterson tells many times. He tell me if you've heard him tell this story, where he talks about he likes to talk about how things that are displayed in higher order primates like apes and bonobos and chimps, if they have some connection to human behavior, because it's like where did it come from? You can kind of see where it came from if you look back at the at the you know the other uh, our cousins, you know our closest cousins. If you see their behavior and it reminds you of human behavior, you can kind of see where it came from by looking at them. And one of the things he says about ch- uh, chimps, I believe they're chimps. He says that um, might makes right in the chimp universe. So you have a um, leader, you know, the silverback. That's a gorilla term. I don't know what your chimps are. But you got the leader, the alpha male, and he has a harem of, of women, and he gets the best of the best. But he's usually the biggest and the meanest, and people will, will try to, like, take his job, and he fucks them up. And uh, Until he doesn't. That's the thing. So Jordan Peterson said that these chimpanzees in the wild, when they look at when they observe them, they find that they can – that the – Alpha can be a bully to a certain degree, and he can take lots of resources for himself to a certain degree. But if, but if he crosses the line at some point, one of the um, one, what do they call them? The uh, uh, they're not fully mature yet. What do they call the the males that aren't fully mature? Uh, fuck, I can't think of it. Baby monkeys. It's like, a, it's like a word that means like teenager. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, one of those chimps will get a couple of others on their side and then they will go and beat the 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 big chimp the main guy beat him to death so he can only take so much and if he crosses the line that might might makes right goes away and uh they find a way to to bypass this tyrant and if that happens in chimpanzees how can we not expect that kind of shit to happen in in human society does that mean might does that take away might makes right though or is there might Better, more, you know, 
it, it exceeds his might. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The only thing that makes it noble in my mind is that it's not permanent. That, you know, once the chimpanzees band together. what do they revert to? What do they go back to? Same, same one that they might came from. Might makes right again. Yeah, might makes right again. It's just whoever the but, most badass chimp in that group is, is now. Yeah, but see, the thing is that might has limitations. So it's like might makes right until it's not right anymore. And but then, then, but then how do you overthrow that with might? Like more might. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I just think uh, it it's whether it's one person or one chimp's might or five chimp's might, it's still might. And you know, chimps are super strong, man. So one yeah. chimp, one chimp's might equals like fifty human mites. And that you know, I can just see a Planet of the Apes situation coming on, man. Yeah, we, we cannot stand up to the might of the bonobos, my friend. I mean, they got to get smart, though. They do got to get smart. We'll fuck this. We'll we have, fuck these chimps. No, up. we have nets and banana peels. We're gonna. Exactly. We're gonna. We're gonna well, there's gonna be so many booby traps in the forest. No. Oh, all right. While we're talking about Twitter, I got one other thing that I wanted to tell you about. That the keywords are shame and Twitter. So here we go. Um, I am not your average Twitter uh, guy. I don't like to troll people. I don't like to talk shit. I like to be a positive influence and. Th- as a consequence, I have very little followers, but I like to be a positive influence um, and say nice things and be encouraging and all that shit and engage in really interesting conversation when I can. And so I I did something I don't usually do. I saw an article, uh, not an article, somebody posted something. I saw it and in the description, the, the word normative was used and immediately set me off. Yeah, it was a trigger. It set me off. And I said something not so nice to the guy. In hindsight, it's like I didn't. I didn't do what like a lot of people do. I didn't like rant on him and get get super political. What I said to him was that the use of the word normative is is off putting to some people, and because it was for me, because I read the title and said I'm not going to read this. I don't want to read this anymore because the language in the title is politically charged, and I wish. If you wanted a broader appeal, if you wanted me to read this thing, then lose the fucking political language. That's how I felt. And somebody who I respect on Twitter immediately hammered back at me and made me think like, okay, why did I, why did I even say this to this person? I don't know them. You know, it, it's, it maybe it's constructive to hear. And that was what was in my mind. It was like, look, if nobody tells these college kids that words like normative are off-putting to half of the of the population. Um, if nobody tells them that, they're going to think that the world is a liberal paradise the way that the way that their college professors told them it was. It's fucking not. And half the people out there are are not thrilled to be manipulated. It's like anytime you watch the news, it's constant manipulation. And we talk about this. We've talked about this many times. I have a have a sensitive spot for manipulation for some reason. And uh, and when I saw Again, that with the use of that word, I pointed it out, and th- this guy I respect was like, "Why did you point it out? Like, what? Like, what's your beef with it?" And I had to explain, you know, like, um, eventually, after several back and forth with a guy, like, getting to the bottom of my own like motivation, like, why did I do that? And um, you know, and I and I and I, it's just I, I just felt ashamed i felt ashamed that i said something to this poor stranger you know he published a paper and i and i lambasted it only because of the title because one word that was used in the title and it's yeah, like how mean were you i wasn't I, mean, I wasn't mean really but i felt like 
it was it was out of character for me and it's like what are you doing man you're not you're not bringing thing anything good into the world by 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 saying what you said so i just felt bad about it and and i'm like sensitive about it like i'm one of those people that has to be careful how how into twitter i get because it, you know it bothered me for like day like a whole day that's weird to me yeah. man that is fucking <laughs> weird to me it's like i just don't like Okay, so you're not bringing anything positive into the world by pointing, but are you really bringing anything that negative into the world either? Like, I, I don't know. It's like I, it's not like you called the guy a faggot. You know, no. it's like you you were like, hey, I, I don't. By using this language, you're uh, excluding people. You know, and uh, I, I I just don't see how that's that bad. Yeah, so when you put it that way, it actually sounds much more like. You know, somebody who uses the word normative is the kind of person that agrees with what you just said. You know, somebody that that wants to be inclusive. Inclusive, exactly. Yeah, ex- exactly. And the left doesn't realize, um, and maybe they don't care, that they are marginalizing lots of people by using those sensitive words that they think are sensitive and, and kind and socially and politically correct. But the, the thing that pisses me off is that the word normative exists. It pisses me off. It pisses me off because we already have a word for it. We have many words for it. You know, normative just means statistically average, and they don't want to say statistically average because it makes because it makes a judge in the middle that anybody who falls below it is now disenfranchised or insulted because they're falling below average. Nobody wants to be below average, and we're all fucking. You know, we want to we want to protect people for, in their egos. You know, that's that's how sensitive the the, the liberal agenda you know has, has gotten. Right? We want to be want to protect people from even having hurt feelings. Um, so we come up with this word normative so that we don't have to, so that it doesn't imply the same kind of marginalization to to all the sub averages. Right. Normative is just like this wispy middle ground place where like it it has some other meaning. And it's like, does it does it have another meaning? And that's how I feel manipulated by it. I'm like, we already have a word for it, man. We have we have many words for average, mean, median, mode, statistical average, you know, on and on and on. You know, um, we have tons of words. Why do we have to introduce normative? You're only introducing words to make me think differently. And I'm suspicious of that. And maybe it's not bad all the time, but I'm fucking suspicious of it. Because I didn't agree to, to adding a word to the lexicon. And now everybody's using it. And and the, the point that I was making was, it's not clear who's manipulating me. When somebody uses the word normative, it's or any word, or woke, or any, or any made up word for that matter, it's not clear to me who it is that's manipulating me. Was it this college kid that wrote the paper? Probably not. It was whoever told him that normative is, normative is part of the lexicon. You know, somebody else way, way up the chain somewhere and way back in history decided we're going to make this subtle change to people's thoughts by changing our language. And I'm like, the fuck you are, man. I want, I require an explanation, you know, before I buy into normative or woke or any fucking other word that you want to invent. Yeah. That's how I feel. And why, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I'm not, you know, like backpedaling. I just feel like if I wanted to have that conversation, why did I inject it into this, uh, completely unrelated tweet like why I understand I was um, 
triggered. And I didn't even fucking hate using that word. I was triggered by it, but I kind of was, you know? Sure. So I don't know, man. I just have mixed feelings about it. Yeah, I don't know. I just, it's so, we come from such different, you know, path you know ways of thinking with that i just don't i do not understand what the big deal is it's like this person put something out there and it's not like they turned the com you know you can turn something off uh the comments on something off so where people can't reply to it and like you can like make it to where no one can reply to it only the people you're following Mm -hmm. can reply Mm -hmm. to it i assume they didn't do any of that so they opened themselves up and again, it's not like you're like, if, get out of here, faggot. I don't want to listen to your bullshit. Yeah. It's not, it's not what you did. I just, in my mind, if that person who posted it was bothered by you doing that, then they're weak and they shouldn't be putting their ideas out, mm. out for, for, uh, what's yeah. the word I'm looking for? Um, for, for public consumption. Yeah. And, and, oh yeah, they're opening themselves up to criticism. And also whoever the person is that you're, you have respect for who like called you out for it. I mean, I don't want to say anything too bad about them because you seem to like have some level of respect for them, but like, get the fuck over it, man. Like it's, I just don't, it doesn't seem that bad. When I say I have respect for him, I just mean he, he seems like a smart guy. And, uh, so I, that, you know, I can't, I can't write him off. So if he has, if he takes issue, then, then I have to, I have to stop and say, okay, well, what is the issue? You know, can I see it from that perspective? And, uh, actually I feel much better about it after talking to you yeah. right now. Um, and you know, it's funny cause it goes back to when we did those personality tests and how completely opposite we yeah, scored. That's true. I'm a, I'm a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I, I, I think I got that, that, um, What's the word? It's like an empathy. It's like an overactive empathy. I think I got that from my mom, man. I got that. I got that honestly from my genes, from my heredity. Uh, it's like I can see how guilt is used on my mom's side of the family among the women. How guilt is used like a tool, you know? It's almost like when every problem is a nail, you know, how's it go? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if all you have is a hammer, every problem is a nail or something like that. That's how it is. And in, in the women in my mom's side of the family, it's like guilt is, is a tool and it's like the go-to tool. And, um, uh, and it works. And I think it's, it only works on certain people, but it works in my family. Cause we're, we're all sharing that. We're all sharing the genes, man. Yeah. So anyway, I, uh, I'm sensitive to that stuff. Yeah. I'm not as much. I, uh, like maybe, maybe I could do with a little bit more of it, you know, but I, yeah, it doesn't really, if I'm feeling guilty about something, I did something bad, you know, like, like, it's not like I said, don't use the word normative. Like I would not feel any guilt about that. Even if somebody that I respected had, you know, even somebody who I didn't think was an idiot was like why'd you do that i'd be like because i fucking wanted to because that's how i feel this, this always reminds me of uh uh george carlin we talked about this many times but when george carlin i think i think it was like 98 or something one of these uh one of these uh specials he did where he said he was talking about um post-traumatic stress disorder oh, we've yeah. talked about this man shell shock. Yeah, he's like you know in, in world war one this was called shell shock and then it slowly transformed and people started calling it other things, including post-traumatic stress disorder. And he, he does changes his voice like shell shock and post-traumatic stress disorder. And that is what I mean by manipulation. We already fucking had a word for it, you know, that reflected the terror of what 
PTSD actually is. Have you seen those dudes that are shaking, convulsing uncontrollably? They can't control it. They're yeah. they're they're fucked psychologically. And you calling it post traumatic stress disorder doesn't help them. It does, does you saying you changing the term for it doesn't make it any better for them. It maybe makes it better for you because you you know you you're not the one going to fight the war. You're maybe the one who supports the war, who thinks we should be sending people to these fucking places to Absolutely. do this stuff. And when they get back and they're all fucked up and they can never love their family again and they end up fucking killing themselves and their family. Uh, it, yeah, maybe man. it makes you feel better to say they have post-traumatic stress disorder. It's just a disease. It's just something that happened to them. No, you're a fucking cunt, and you, you know, you're like, dude, the hair standing up on my arms. You're, you're, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I agree fuck with these you. people, man. Like I'm with you. That like a lot of this changing the language is just to make them feel better about yes. themselves. Yes, fucking yes. And that's the that's the case with normative two and all the other PC bullshit. Yeah, it, like it's heteronormative. I'm sorry that you're you're fucking gay and you you feel weird about it. I'm sorry that has nothing to do nope. with me though. Nope. I mean, I don't even really. Let's talk like, about let's talk about cisgendered for a second. Okay. So there's another fucking made up word. Cisgender just just means you're fucking statistically average in in identifying your gender with your sex. That's all it means. Yeah. That's all it means. But you make a special word for normal people. And I know that might sound fucking weird to some of you and you might be turning off the podcast right now, but that's what it means. Cisgendered means you're a normal human being. I can't help it that I'm a decent human being. (laughs) (laughs) Point is, if you have to make a word for a normal human being, you're only doing that. You're only doing that to marginalize normal people. Yeah. You're, You're making a special word for them that that only the in group uses about the out group that is fucked up that is not a liberal thing at all yeah you know I, I, and saying all of this i don't th- look i don't really i don't hate transgender people if you I, i'll call you by your fucking pronouns Absolutely. i'm a nice guy um but if you, it's like a, the problem comes from them you know, it's like they feel weird about the fact that they're different. It's like, I can't do anything yeah. about that, yeah. man. All I can do is treat you like a human uh, being. That's so funny the way you put that. It's like somebody feels bad about themselves or insufficient or whatever. And they think today that they can that they should bend the world around them to make them to make it okay. And for all of human history We've had the opposite approach. We have to bend ourselves to ma- to match the world, and now people are saying, "No, no, no! We're going to bend the world to match uh, us." And I think that is maniacal arrogance. That is one of those examples of <laughs> because I'm sensitive or have hangups or you know I'm not sufficiently grown up to have come to terms with my whatever with myself that I'm going to make sweeping social changes to the world around me and and enforce and, and push it on everybody else you know and using shame and guilt to get you to do it it's disgusting man and it's never going to work because there's too many individuals like way too many you know you you say I want to bend the world to myself this way then the person next to you says I want to bend the world to myself this way and the next guy says the exact same fucking thing that's the dance nobody can do that it's not possible um it just that's yeah, that, it that's that's the, that's the dance that's the dance that's the back and forth man it's the dance that I think 
slowly but surely a lot of people are like refusing to dance anymore. It's getting it's getting ridiculous. Yeah. I mean it's been I, ridiculous. I hundred percent agree. And when you stop dancing, that's when we start killing each other. I'm serious, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when we start fracturing and the country falls apart. That that's that's what happens. And the politicians in power are are racing towards that. Yeah. I I don't understand it. It's just Especially with that type of stuff, the cisgender, the trans issues, um, even like sexuality, even race. I mean, it all seems so fucking stupid and pointless compared to the issues that we're facing. Like the other day I put gas, I filled up my gas tank. It cost me 81 fucking dollars. That's like a significant percentage increase from what it was when I first got my car. Um, It's way fucking more to fill up my tank. Um, and that affects normative people. It affects the non-normative people. It affects the black people. It affects the white people. It affects, you know, it affects everyone. So why are we fucking arguing about stupid, stupid nonsense? It's called, uh, what is it? What is it called? Um, oh man, (laughs) Uh, what's that phrase where it's um, where you break people into small groups so you can control them? What's the phrase? I don't know. Uh, fuck. I probably know it, but I don't. I, yeah. As soon as you say it, you'd be like, oh, yeah. Divide and conquer. Okay. Divide and conquer. That's the one. Yeah, that yep, that makes sense. So um, interesting piece of news. Uh, you remember how I talked to you about how my, my work was, um, well, they were threatening to fire me for not being vaccinated? Yeah. Um, and, the, you know, it's like the, when the... This, the position that a lot of these Fortune 500s took on the vaccine, it was like, you know, being co-opted by the government and playing this, tr- trying to play this political role and that corporations have never played before. And it was really, really scary to me and I wasn't okay with it. And I, I was, my job was threatened and I, I was given deadline after deadline after deadline to get the vaccine or, or risk being fired. And every time that happened, I just put my middle finger up and said, you know, I'm going to stand on my principles. And I was worried about it. I didn't know how that was going to fall. Um, but last week, I learned that uh, they have reversed their vaccine Good. policies. So even after they forced many, many people there to get the vaccine for fear of losing their Imagine job. Imagine being a person who was like skeptical about it but you're like i gotta i gotta do it mm-hmm. imagine being that person now you're like are you fucking serious i yeah. got this thing for no fucking yep. reason it's yeah, fucked and, up dude and, I, and i'll say um just because it makes me look cooler that there was a um pass for exemptions medical and religious exemptions so i could have i could have done that little dance and avoided being fired but i refused even to do that you know Fuck yeah. well they said they said if if you what you're objecting to is on conscientious grounds that doesn't count I'm like, fuck you, it doesn't count. Of yeah. course it counts. You know? But the point is, it wasn't just me, it was me and lots of others, but we won that battle. And uh, I, I could not be happier about that. Yeah, that's awesome. You know? I, and liberals should be happy about that. The working people stood up against the big corporation and won. Liberals should be cheering that. And if, and if liberals are listening to this right now, I'm sure they're doing the opposite. And that's a fucking problem, man. What happened to liberalism? What happened to liberalism? I don't know, man. Those books you got me from Ludwig von Mises. Yes. When he when he's talking about libertarians in that book, it was before the word libertarian existed, so he uses the word liberal. Oh yeah, classical liberal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's um, interesting. And yeah, now liberal just means something completely fucking different. Yeah. What does it even mean? You know? I don't think it means anything, to be honest with you. 
I think that progressive is a a much better term for these people at this point. Yeah, and even even that word, by the way, manipulation. Oh, for sure. To to call to call movement progressive is to bring along all the implications that progress is part of it. That it means going from a from a, a flawed state to a more perfect state. It's called progress. Yeah. But what does that mean? If you look at the nuts and bolts, it means authoritarian government. It means top down, you know, control. It means um, it means the federal government funding social programs out the wazoo. It means all kinds of things that every one of them could be argued is not progress, but we're going to call it progressive to manipulate you. And that's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I'm noticing it more and more and it's maddening. It's maddening. And I think, am I just being a crotchety old man? Am I developing crotchety old man syndrome? I'm, or is this something fundamental? Like, like, you know, when Jordan Peterson was willing to lose his professorship and his reputation by standing on, you know, principles, is it something like that? Yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah, I, it makes me think of, you know, a few years ago, I don't know how many years ago, like back when, see, how many years ago would that be? Man, I'm fucking old. Yep, we are. So 2013, 2014, somewhere in that area, I remember thinking, because there is some truth in it, that the world is progressing in in certain ways we're moving towards certain ways of thinking that were not the case 200 years ago you know um and i remember thinking yeah given enough time i bet you it is all gonna be you know we uh, everyone's gonna be fine with gay marriage blah and it, that was kind of the the big issues back then right you know? yeah um and i remember thinking yeah that makes sense eventually it does seem like that's the direction we're moving in and again there is some truth to that but I wasn't, I don't know, factoring in reality that even if the majority of the people in the world are moving towards that, not everyone is ever going to agree with that, you know? And, and that's fine. Well, you don't, actually, you don't want it. Yeah, exactly. And this is, a, this is an example of, uh, we can talk about evolution. So you have adaptations, right? Species will have different adaptations. They're going to, they're going to um, change certain characteristics of themselves when randomly, right? When, when the environment changes, some of those random changes will be beneficial and some won't. But the thing is, you need to have diversity so that one of those creatures can survive when things change. But when you only have one approach, when you only have one um, way of thinking, if the world changes that it no longer you know, works with that way of thinking... You die. That species is over. You need to have diversity so that so that you have adaptability, and that's true with bio, with biological creatures. But it's true with it's true with ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. Um. Yeah, I don't know either, man. Uh oh, I told you I met that met that couple from California that moved from California. Um, they said some interesting things at the park. They said that. California, they were from Los Angeles. They said it is worse than you ever see on, on the news. Yeah. It's like you see those uh, those people that take videos of all the homeless people on the side of the street and all that. It's like it's way worse than, than that. Yeah. He, he, he said it's unlivable and people are leaving uh, Los Angeles like crazy. It's completely unlivable. And they moved to Austin, Texas from first. And they said 
Same situation. Yeah, I've heard that. They moved to Austin, Texas, and we're like, what? It's like everything we left without the good weather, you know? Yeah, yeah. So then they, they happened to have a relative here. So they made the, they made the change and came here, and they love it here. Like, they, could, they couldn't believe it. it's like Mayberry here, you know? They couldn't believe it compared to there. Yeah. Like this is like a tremendous place to live. It's so weird, man. I mean, California has so much going for it. It could be, and it has been in the past, so awesome. And just all these these policies that they've been I want to see holding it, up I want for, to see it fail. Oh, me too. Because exactly for the reasons that you said, California is the crown the of the United States. Man. It's the crown. It it is the most beautiful state. It has crazy amounts of natural resources. That's where all that's so much of our food is grown there. It's soup and it's Hollywood and all that. It's it's a very important part of um, the union, and. They've been wealthy and privileged beyond any other state for all of those reasons for a long, long, long time. And as an, as a result, they become more liberal. They want to become more generous. They want to become more, you know, uh, they want to be, they want to, that they've, they've moved in this direction and it's failing. And the thing is, if it can fail in a place like California, then it could fail. It will fail anywhere else in the country. Yeah. So, it is a case in point that these liberal policies are a failure, that what they result in is a huge burden on society and government for the, for the group of the population that, for whatever reason, won't participate in it because they've made it so easy to not. There's not just money problems. There's huge health problems. There's, you know, I, I mean... You could go on and on and on. They're talking about they have to rake needles out of the beach. There's huge smog problems and terrible pollution in this liberal paradise, right? Um, you know, it's just thing after thing after thing. If California can fail, trying to be progressive and socialist, if they can fail, then it's it's completely pointless to try it anywhere else in this country. So I want them to fail. Oh, yeah. They need. We need to have an example of what happens when you continue down this line. It's not fucking good, man. Yeah. No balance. There's no balance there. You gotta wonder, like, when the collapse comes. You know, when they are beyond the point of no return. When there's just no way to argue that, like, oh, maybe, maybe we can make this work. Hmm. Like, what? I mean, I think that they're pretty much fucking there. They might For be. me personally, like, if I lived in California, I would be gone at this point. So funny, man. You've got this, like I say, this liberal bastion uh, in California. It's like California, New York City, right? And uh, I don't know, man. I don't know what to say about it. Yeah, I like hearing like real people that you met saying that it is worse than people say. Cause you hear all the time people are like, it's not, people are making it sound way worse than it actually is. People are trying to spin a story to make it look bad. And, you know, I've not, I haven't been to California since I was like 10. So maybe that's true, but I, I have the impression that it's probably not, you know, that it probably is as bad, if not worse than people are saying. Oh shit. You know what I was going to say was Gavin Newsom kept popping in my head. And I wanted to say that, in this liberal bastion that we have, California, that they have the most corrupt politicians. Yeah. Like maybe in New York they're worse, but is there is there anybody worse than Gavin Newsom that comes directly to mind? 
like extremely corrupt in the pocket of corporations. Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, Nancy Guess Pelosi. Guess where she's from? <laughs> California. But seriously, seriously, California has the most corrupt politicians in the country. Yeah. And they're supposed to be held up as the shining beacon of liberalism and the potential, what's possible in this great country. Yeah. It's complete nonsense, man. Gavin Newsom is actually like Nancy Pelosi's nephew or something. Oh, of course. Like that. Of course he is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I hope I hope California breaks off and falls into the Pacific. That would be great. <laughs> One other thing that that guy from California mentioned, we started talking about skating, and we brought up uh, grind shoes. We're oh, talking yeah. about grind shoes, soaps, soaps, and Solomon's. And uh, he, he said, "Oh, uh, have you seen the professional uh, soap guy?" And I'm like. <laughs> No, but that sounds awesome. He was like, Google it when you get home. Uh, he's like, that guy's from my neighborhood. Uh, let me know what you think. I was like, it sounds cool to me. And in my mind, I'm, this is what I'm picturing in my mind. I'm picturing like the greatest parkour guy you've ever seen with soaps on. Yeah. So when he flips off a building and lands on a on a, on a a rail, he just grinds it down and then back flips off of that and rolls and grinds another thing. I That's what I pictured. I'm like, this is going to be great. Yeah. And I got home and I, and I watched it and it was terrible really so it's like well there's no parkour in it that was all my imagination that's so what they should be doing. that's what they should be doing so this guy is like really good at it you know really good at it and you can see anybody with a skateboard do what he does because that's what grind shoes are they're just a plastic plate in the middle of the shoe covered in paraffin wax so that you can grind like you would on a skateboard down a rail or whatever and so this guy will like run up with his feet you know rather than like speed up with a skateboard he runs up with his feet and jumps and grinds down a rail and it's really cool that he can hold his balance uh for that long and it's really cool that he doesn't get hurt but it doesn't look as good as a skateboard it doesn't look as good as anybody else who would who would do that using a piece of equipment it looks fucking weak man and it's like as he's grinding his like duck he's duck footed and his knees are bent and he's wobbling and it just doesn't look graceful it doesn't look cool man so anyway, that that guy told me to watch it, but didn't tell me what to expect because he just wanted me to see it for myself, yeah. and I, it was terrible, man. Did you did you get this guy's number? Yeah, I got. His did number. you tell him what you yeah, thought I told about him. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was his yeah. response? Was he like, "Yep, yeah, yeah"? That's exactly what he said. <laughs> okay. He was like, "100 percent." Yeah, uh, yeah, that does sound pretty weak. Also, I, um, I've got a, a tip for you. I wanted to tell you. So one of the things that you and I, like in the early days of the podcast, you were doing some recordings and. Everyone liked him, and I liked him, especially uh, Kyle's Spiritual Reconstruction, those episodes. And uh, you were like, man, it's hard for me to record like those sorts of things because I have to come to your house every time we record. Um, anyway, I got a little thing from our, um, like a little advertisement from our uh, podcast hosting place. Um, their app will let you record right on the app. So you plug in a microphone to your phone, mm-hmm. you open up the app, you can record on it. And um, pu- publish the episodes directly from your phone. Oh, that's cool. Very cool. And Podbean. Po- yeah, Podbean. Right. And they said that the um, that the software uh, makes the audio quality good, good enough. So if you wanted to, you could record your own episodes and post them right from your yeah, comfort of cool. your own home. That would be. So now everybody knows that who's listening, and now we can all put pressure on Kyle to produce more material. You guys donate. Go go to the website and donate something so I can buy a microphone. Then we'll. Uh, I All mean, right, I guys. can just talk right into the phone too. True. The Two Tongues Podcast dot com. Go to the donate button and send Kyle a microphone. There you All go. Right. All right. Um, okay, so that next thing I want to tell you, I bought this book over here. Uh, it's called Archetypal Symbols in Fairy Tales, 
and I brought it up on the podcast last week, um, not because I was talking about it, but because I was talking about something related. And then I got down this weird, like, you have to listen to it, but I, I tried to correct for it, but it's like, I've been reading Carl Jung, and Carl Jung has a famous pupil, who I, by the way, I misquoted, I, I said his name was Henry Ellen Berger, because that's a guy that Jordan Peterson talks about a bunch, but it's not. It's uh, it's another guy he talks about a bunch. His name is Eric Neumann. That's the guy I meant to mention. Gotcha. So Eric Neumann is his star pupil, and I've been reading his book. So my next episode, my next solo episode is going to be about um, Eric Neumann's book. But when I was talking about it, I was like, look, I started reading Eric Neumann's book, and then I kind of forgot. And so I have this like half-done episode, so I'm just going to pick it up and finish it. And this book came, and it was written by a woman named Mary Louise von Franz, and I never heard of her. Um, Amazon was uh, kind enough to recommend her for me. It turns out she was associated with Jung and worked with him later in his career, and she's also Swiss, and so you know, like my family's from Swiss, so I'm like, she must be all right. Um, <laughs> so here I, I'm trying to introduce this like interest that I have in Jung and then what his pupils had to say. So I'm doing this series called uh, uh, Jung's Greatest Pupil, and the first part is going to be about Eric Neumann. The next part is going to be about her, Marie-Louise von Franz. And when I was talking about it, I'm like, this is one of the first women that I've talked about. One of the first women authors that I've talked about. Then I all of a sudden felt weird having said it, you know? Like, why did I make this sexist? Now I got to defend. Now, you know, so I just put myself in this weird position on the, on the, uh, on the, last, on the last solo podcast where I'm talking about a woman's book and then pointing out that I've never talked about any woman's books before. So I must be a sexist. That's so weird to me. And all that pressure came crashing, all that social pressure. I put it on myself, but it came crashing down on me. You think that's like, uh, built into your guilt thing? I, it's a good question, man. It's like, I am not a sexist person. I'm a, you know, I'm not, but I felt like I had to defend myself after I brought it up. You know, it's weird, dude. And then I'm like backpedaling. Like one of the books I gave you was by a lady named Helena Helena Bonham Carter <laughs> Gruber. I don't remember. Yeah, the, yeah the the one with the awesome uh, goddess yeah, yeah. on the front. That that was a woman. And then I remembered a book that I uh, that I was part of my um, uh, my doctorate dissertation that I never did. Um, her, her name was Rachel Levy something or other. She wrote a book called Gate of Horn. It was awesome. So here I am, like trying to like throw other women's books that I've read into the mix just so I don't sound like such a fucking... That is so weird Yeah, to me, I know, man. I hate it. I hate it. I, I don't know if it's my personality or if it's just like, the, you know, the political climate just rubbing me the wrong way or it's probably a combination of both, but like, I don't care. Like, um, if I, if I write, you know, if I'm doing podcasts and I talk about all, all men... That's who I wanted to talk about. I don't care if you think that I'm a sexist because I'm not talking about women. It just yeah. doesn't bother me. Yeah. It's not 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 important to me what what anyone would think about that. Um, yeah, I don't know it that should, kind of shit. It shouldn't be to me either. And I, like I said, I uh, I feel weird about it. Yeah, that's why I brought it up this time. Well. I want to show you something here, man. I'm going to pull up our podcast statistics because ever since the website uh, came out, they've been getting much better. Uh, the Two Tongues Podcast dot com. You think the website's helping? I think it's helping. And maybe I'll show you. I'll show you what I. I'm just logging in so I, we can see our statistics because I want to show Kyle something here. Um, 
All right, here we go. So here we are. I don't. I don't want to like talk numbers specifically on here, but I want to show you what I, what I mean. Okay, so this is a more reasonable number, but this number was like double or triple um, the, our daily download count. And then this number here, uh, this is a, what we've had in the last 30 days. It's one-fifth of our total downloads. We've been doing this for over, over a year. We've got one-fifth of our total, total downloads in the last 30 days. That seems pretty cool. Yeah. And then if I go to our statistics here, and I just do all-time and look at everything... We're going to see what we are accustomed to seeing. This this is a really cool looking graph, by the way. Which yeah, it is. But this is what we're accustomed to seeing. I wonder what that go back up a little bit. Yep. So I wonder what this little bump was about. Like the nothing, 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 boom. Well, that's I mean, that's when we that's when we started the podcast. Oh, that's when we. Yeah, well, see, then we what had, the fuck is all this? I don't know. It's just, nothing. Yeah, we got zero episodes, and then once we hit uh, our first episode, you know. Oh, okay. Right well, here. then that makes sense. I, but I thought this was all. I thought this was all. You know, no, podcast no. we had done. Nope. A, that's confusing. So here we have a list of our most downloaded episodes. And the one that you see on top continues to be on top and always has been. It's the Sacred Mushroom and the Cross episode. It must be. It must come up when people are trying to learn about it and they just type in like, look, I don't want to read the book. Sacred Mushroom podcast. We must come up. You know, we must. Sure, yeah. But ever since, uh, ever since we started the, with the website went live, this number just continues to climb. So that episode is now a quarter of all of our ep- of our downloads. That's crazy. The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross episode. And then the near the, the nearest second is like a fraction of that, you know? Yeah. And if you, I want to point out if you keep going down here, Kyle spiritual spiritual reconstructions right towards the top. Super far, super low down though. But it's still towards the top of the download count. True. Anyway, what do you think of this man? It's crazy. I don't know what to think about it. I I mean, I think my what's what am I trying to say here? My uh, my suspicion has always been that it's because we named it after that book, which is a fairly well known book, and you yeah. know, an interesting topic. You know, yeah. it, it on it that book on its own is something that's cat that captures people's attention. So you know what captures my attention? What's that? Penis of the storm. Yeah, okay. Um, that was one of the phrases from that episode. Yeah. Penis, oh, I remember. Penis of the storm. Um, but yeah, that's what I guess it is. I, I wonder if people like it. You know, like these people are listening. These I assume these people are searching Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. Like you said, they don't want to actually listen to the book. They want to listen to people talk about it uh, so they can get some kind of better idea. Uh, I just like, do the people listen to it and they're like, that was pretty good. That was interesting, you know? That's a good question. I would love that sort of feedback. So I know that's if that, that's another thing. Like all these people who are apparently listening to this podcast, it can't all be my mom. My mom is not listening <laughs> to the sacred, especially that episode. That doesn't seem like the type that's really gonna interest my mom that much. Uh, if you're listening to these things, you reach out to us. Leave a comment on the website on whatever you're listening to it on. Find us on Twitter. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. Agreed. say something. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, f- definitely find us on Twitter. Um, uh, but if you go to the website, there's a contact button and you can just send us a message. So you can do that. Uh, we Anybody who's listened to the Sacred Mushroom episode, if you liked it or didn't like it, let me know, man. What are you on Twitter? What am I on Twitter? Two, uh, at, at Two Tongues Pod. At Two Tongues Pod, yeah. And I'm at Stony underscore Wolf. So especially, uh, even actually... Yeah, I guess especially if you disagree, just say something. Let let us know. 
I would be super interested in that. I would too. And also you can link to our Twitter from the website. You can also link to, to Kyle's Substack. So if anybody wants to hear the story where Kyle got about Kyle getting arrested when he was a teenager. Yeah. It's a to, fucking bullshit story, man. Go to his Substack. Um that so that reminds me of the fact that I've hated cops for a long time. And this stuff with the shooting man does not make me like them anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that we'll ever hear the truth of that, but what I assume that the fact that they didn't go in right away is upsetting so you. The, yeah, they didn't go in at all. It was, uh, I mean, there was an active shooter situation in a fucking elementary school. I know. A bunch of babies. I know. And they're just hanging out. They're, instead of stopping the shooter, they're stopping the parents who are like, I'm going to go in and save my fucking kid. They're like, no, you're not. Yeah. Uh, because I've got a gun and I'll shoot you if you do. Yeah. Fuck the police, yeah, man. Yeah. Every single one of them. Yeah. I don't, the whole bad apple scenario. No, there are, it's a basket full of bad apples. Yeah. Every single one of them. It's interesting. Cause I know, I know one mother did go in and get her kids while the guy was there and took them out of school. And the person who stopped it was a, a border patrol agent who was, I guess, uh, his kids were in there and he was like, fuck it. I'm going to, and he killed the guy. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah, okay. I, yeah, I okay. think that's what happened. Well, listen, man, um, I can't imagine that any of the policemen that were there on site have children. Because if they did, you would be in that school. You got a bulletproof vest. You got a gun. I mean, if it were me, I would be shit scared. But I would have been fucking right in there. Sure. I, I don't have kids, and I imagine that I would have. I mean, you know, give me... Give me a gun, and I have to imagine that I would go in there. You don't even have to kill the guy. Just start popping shots off at him so he has to duck behind something and can't fucking kill anyone else. Yeah, it's hard to shoot. It's hard to shoot in a school full of kids, but but I, I but I would. You know, I'd find a way of doing it. Uh, even if I had to bum rush the guy and risk my life, that yeah. dude. If you're a cop, that's what you're fucking paid for, man. Not according to the law. They don't have to. I mean, it. it the thing that they are here for, and it's this type of thing makes it obvious, the reason that they are here is to fuck with us. It's not to protect us, it's to pull us over when we roll through a stop sign and give us a ticket, you know? Yeah. That's what police exist to do. And if you have any delusions about that, look into what happened at that school. They're not here to protect and serve. They're a gang that extorts money out of people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not willing to paint with such a broad brush, but I, uh, but I agree with you largely. Oh, yeah, man. Every single one of them. If you join the police force, I'm not saying that you're a monster, like serial killer, asshole, but you, you've had a lapse in judgment by becoming a police officer. Yeah. Every single one of them. <clears throat> yeah, I think there's also a personality trait. You know, like when you're 18 and you join the military, um, you know, that's like if maybe an equivalent scenario. You're too young and naive, but if you're 28 years old and you join the police force, you're, there's a particular type of personality. You're probably a bully. You probably want power. You like that idea. I'm sure that there are noble ones out there. You don't seem to agree, but I'm sure there are some noble ones out there. Um, I think that maybe they can have noble traits. They can. There can be aspects of their person that are noble, but if they're pulling people over and giving them tickets for rolling through a stop sign when they didn't hurt anybody, yeah. that is not noble. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I think not uh, running into a school full of dying children is not noble. No, it's not. No, it's not. That's that's a real serious scar on the on the police force. Also, the motivation for the kid that did it 
I am I like I try to imagine the worst possible shit. Like I try to imagine the possibility of the worst possible shit, and I cannot understand why an elementary school is the place you pick. I just cannot understand. Doesn't make any sense. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to think about it. And I, you know, the, you get people trying to politicize it and it's fucking gross, man. Oh, I saw that. So gross. But what are you going to do? I mean, these people are gross in general. So politicians. Did you see Beto O'Rourke? That's what what I was referring to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, pretty much everyone. I mean, Joe Biden got up there and was like, and he, I just cannot fucking stand Joe Biden. The way he talks that like, he gets this like, I can't even do it, but this like breathy, I just, Joe Biden is, he's embarrassing, but he's also just like really, really annoying. Yeah, man. Um, like at least like I, Obama, in my opinion, was a terrible president. Um, but he at least at the very least he on the surface seemed like he was. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. He he had a respectable demeanor about him, but Obama did more damage to the way that the United States is viewed by the world than Donald Trump did, in my For opinion. Sure. Yeah. Like, well, with our allies, specifically with our allies. And when Great Britain is upset with us, I mean, th- there's a real fucking problem. When when the country that's the most closest to us and our ideals and our legal system, and you know, that's the country we're trying to we're trying to uh, you know separate ourselves from there's a real problem man yeah what else you got man um i got a, i got a text from uh brian the other day yeah last oh, yeah? night yeah haven't heard from brian listen to the podcast where we were talking about him no i don't think no, so okay. uh um so yeah just just for the people who don't know who brian is brian's a friend of ours that goes way back to um way back to you know like 10 years old 12 years old something like that um but I haven't heard from him in a long time, and I got a I got a text from him, and I was like, oh, this you know maybe this guy's drunk because that happens to me. You, you tie on a tie on a couple, and you start feeling nostalgic, and you just want people to know you love them. Yeah. Uh, but it was so it was nice. Uh, he sent me a, a picture of his place, and uh, he's got a big big pool. And he was like, yeah, come on, you know, come out and, and you know hang out. Um, and so you know that also that's the kind of thing you do when you've had a couple of drinks. You're like, come on to my house, let's yeah, exactly. party, man. And he's got a big old ZZ Top beard. Oh yeah, and a bald head man and i knew i knew he went bald uh or he was maybe he was going bald and he shaved it i have to ask him but uh growing up he he always had a you know full head of hair and he's just got this giant beard and no hair at all it's pretty cool yeah, yeah i uh i don't think i'm gonna go bald i'm not really worried about that anymore um but my hair's definitely good, getting gray, man. Yeah. So is my brother's. It's yeah. like, oh, go on fucking gray. Mine is but I, I'm fine with it. I think, I, you know, I'll have white hair and a white beard. I'll look like a fucking wizard. Fuck That's yeah. That's cool, man. You know what's weird to me is it's symmetry. I'll tell you what pisses me off. I, I have, uh, I'm not an artist, but I, I like art and I like to draw. And there was a time when I did it a lot and I was fairly good at it. I was never like, you know, never going to win a silver. Always way better than I was. I was never going to win a silver medal. Uh, but anyway, um, 
the hairline, right? So I'm, I'm in, I'm, we're getting deep into our 30s now. The hairline on each side of my head is no longer the same. One side started to creep yeah. back more than I've the other. I've never noticed that So you pointed out yep. right So now. that symmetry, I notice it every time I look in the mirror. I'm like, I hate it so bad. I actually changed the side of my hair that I parted on so it would look less bad. But that's not the worst one. The worst one has to do with the gray. So you notice on my beard on this side, mm-hmm. there's almost no gray. On this side... This whole bottom line across the right side of my jaw is all white. See yeah, that? Yeah. And that, when you look in the mirror, it especially with the, with the lights being bright, it looks like there's no hair there. Yeah. So I, I, the symmetry's all off, man. That's and what it, I was noticed when you when you did the the sides there. It looks your facial hair looks way thinner on that side. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's only on one side, and it pisses me off. Like if it's gonna happen, just be symmetric. Just have the courtesy of aging the same on both sides of my body. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, I've always had kind of like, I, I can't re- really remember what side it is now, but one of the sides of my facial hair was always much thicker than the other. And I think it's maybe evened out a little bit, but like my chest hair too, like this side, it's not <laughs> my, this, the side over my heart, it's not as thick, uh, uh as the side over not my heart. Yeah, whatever interesting. The fuck I'm trying to say. Interesting. Yeah. It's weird, man. Uh, it's funny cause you like you, you're like predisposed to look for signs of symmetry because that's how you can tell if somebody's healthy. So when you want to make babies, those are the things you look for. They're like subconscious. Yeah. But when you look at a woman and you say, oh, she's beautiful, symmetry has a big, big part of it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm losing all my symmetry, man. I'm falling apart. I heard somebody say that the reason, and I mean, obviously none of this stuff is conscious. We, you know, and it, I don't, honestly, I don't even know if it's true, but it makes sense, the theory, um, that... The reason women are drawn to like masculine higher testosterone men is that testosterone is a poison and that if you can you you develop or you uh, exhibit these signs and say I can handle a bunch of testosterone and still be alive. That's interesting. That it's like this guy is strong, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. You know what else is interesting about high testosterone is that one of the symptoms of having high testosterone is going bald. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I got a full head of hair like a pussy, man, like a pussy. Yeah, I don't, like I said, I'm not really worried about going bald, but I would be interested to know what my testosterone levels are. Um, we should get them checked and then and talk about it on the podcast. I would especially like to, and this, this we can't really do, uh, to know what my testosterone levels were like when I was younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't find that out, but. All right, well, that sounds like uh, a topic for the next episode of the two tongues podcast did you uh see the most recent thing that jordan peterson got in trouble for uh was it about talking about the bible no okay what i was don't it? even know about that okay i'll, t- I'll tell you what, what was it uh about that overweight model that is going to be on the cover <laughs> the swimsuit of, edition yeah, yeah I, would, I don't i didn't get the details what did he say he just said and, she- you know i i'm not what am i trying to say here i'm not mad at jordan peterson but i do like like, why did you have to come out guns blazing on this? Like, I'm, just, I'm ready to defend him. What he say? He said he was like he basically tweeted out the cover and he was like, "Not beautiful," you know, like, um, and like I, I get it. I actually, I mean, I more or less agree with him, um, but I just don't, just like, I don't know. It like came off as like an insult, and that is where I do break apart. It's like I'm not even saying that it necessarily was. I think maybe it was just like a rare. 
you know, Jordan Peterson always like chooses his words very carefully. And I think yeah. he, maybe he just didn't do it this time. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, go ahead. I, finish because I, do, I just don't understand. Like, I understand like beauty standards and, you know, all of that. Like, I don't, you, you can't tell people, <clears throat> you can't tell people what they have to be attracted to, what they have to like. I see that. But I also don't think it's like some people do like, like, you know, like it's, I just, yeah, exactly. I just don't, anything. Some people like everything, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and I just don't understand like um, a need to bring it to like an insulting kind of a place. So this is where I see two ways of interpreting that. I see one way, which doesn't sound like Jordan Peterson at all, which is to say not beautiful means she's not beautiful. The other way, which seems more up, more consistent with him is to say that standard of beauty that's being pushed on us socially is not, is not beautiful. It's to say that that's beautiful is, is to say that, um, that it's to say that being fat is okay, that being fat is beautiful. And that's this far away from saying it's, it's healthy. It's perfectly fine. It's healthy. And what he's saying is, no, it's not. Um, maybe he could have said it differently to where it couldn't have been. It didn't have two meanings, you yeah. know, one of one being kind of insulting to a particular individual. Yeah. yeah, That kind of thing. And that is, that is, like I said, more or less, I agree with Jordan Peterson, but I do think that he probably should have phrased it better. That's like the, one of the very rare times that I think that Jordan Peterson could have phrased something better. Yeah, maybe so. But I also think that if you're putting a standard of beauty out in something like the swimsuit edition of Sports Illustrated, it's a cultural, you know, hallmark. If you do that, what you're, what you're doing is sending a message to to young people that this is the standard of beauty, or it's an acceptable standard of beauty, which means it's something that should be imitated. So, do you want a healthy child to think she has to put on a bunch of weight to be be beautiful? Fuck no. Not a single person would agree with that. That's another thing with this particular swimsuit model is that she's not like morbidly obese you know she's not like some giant fat I mean I, I'm not trying to be mean here but yeah. like disgusting fat yeah, person yeah, yeah. she's just like slightly heavier May, is it the healthiest thing in the world I don't know probably not but she's not even so heavy that I'm like you're gonna you need to work on that you're gonna die she's not even that big so I just like I don't know. There's just like uh, I, I don't see it any different than, than tw- twenty years ago when it was the anore- all the models were anorexic. They're all way too skinny, and all, yeah. everyone said that's not healthy. You can't put that standard of beauty in front of ch- children and expect girls to imitate that. They're all going to be anorexic, and it's going to affect their mental and physical health. That's the same argument for the fat standard of beauty. Yeah, don't, well, don't imitate that. I'm with you. I'm with you, I, especially when you start getting to like much heavier people, the super fats and things like that. Um, There's probably lots of OnlyFans opportunities for the super fats. Yeah, I'm sure there are. Yeah, um, and whatever, good for you. But that's another reason why I think Jordan Peterson just missed the mark a little bit because this particular lady is not that bad. I mean, she's definitely not like your typical swimsuit model cover model. Um, but she's also not like, it's not terrible. She's honestly, I don't think she's, I I, I like thicker, bigger girls. That's fine with me. And she just doesn't really do it for me. Hmm. So, well, maybe since I got a pee super bad, maybe we end this podcast with a little bit of Jordan Peterson's advice that maybe he can, maybe he can take for himself in the future. Be precise in your speech. Well, there you have it. 
That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work. Thinking. It's hard and full of uncertainties, but I'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together. Here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there? Let's find out together in the next episode.